on being a Jewish parent. The most influential man who ever lived doesn't appear on any list I have seen of the hundred most influential men who ever lived. He ruled no empire, commanded no army, engaged in no spectacular acts of heroism on the battlefield, performed no miracles, proclaimed no prophecy, led no vast throng of followers, and had no disciples other than his own child. Yet today more than half of the seven billion people alive on the face of the planet identify themselves as his heirs. His name, of course, is Abraham. Held as the founder of faith by the three great monotheisms, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. He fits no conventional stereotype. He's not like Noah, described as unique in his generation. The Torah tells us no tales of his childhood as it does of Moses. We know next to nothing about his early life. When God calls on him, as he does at the beginning of this week's parsha, to leave his land, his birthplace, and his father's house, we have no idea why he was singled out. Yet never was a promise more richly fulfilled than the words of God to him when he changed his name from Avram to Avraham, Ki av hamon goyim netaticha, for I have made you father of many nations. Today there are 56 Islamic nations and more than 80 Christian ones and the Jewish state. Truly, Abraham became the father of many nations. But who and what was he? And why was he chosen for this exemplary role? There are three famous portraits of Abraham. The first is the one we learned as children. Abraham, left alone with his father's idols, breaks them with a hammer which he leaves in the hand of the biggest of the idols. His father Terach comes in, sees the devastation, asked who caused it, and the young Abraham replied, Can't you see the hammer is in the hands of the largest idol? It must have been him. Terach replies, But an idol is mere wood and stone. Abraham replies, Then, Father, how can you worship it? This is Abraham the iconoclast, the breaker of images, the man who, while still young, rebelled against the pagan, polytheistic world of demigods and demons, superstition and magic. The second image is more haunting and enigmatic. It compares Abraham, says the Midrash, to a man traveling on a journey when he sees a palace in flames. He wondered, is it possible that the palace lacks an owner? The owner of the palace looked out and said, I am the owner of the palace. So Abraham, our father, said, Is it possible that the world lacks a ruler? God looked out at him and said to him, I am the ruler, the sovereign of the universe. Now, this is an extraordinary passage. Abraham sees the order of nature, the elegant design of the universe. It's like a palace. It must have been made by someone for someone. But the palace is on fire. How can this be? Surely the owner should be putting out the flames. You don't leave a palace empty and unguarded. Yet the owner of the palace calls out to him as God called to Abraham, asking him to help fight the fire. God needs us to fight the destructive instinct in the human heart. This is Abraham, the fighter against injustice, the man who sees the beauty of the natural universe being disfigured by the sufferings inflicted by man on man. Finally comes a third image, this time by Moses Maimonides. 
After he was weaned, writes Maimonides, while still an infant, Abraham's mind began to reflect. Day and night, he thought and wondered, how is it possible that this celestial sphere should continuously be guiding the world and have no one to guide it and cause it to turn? For it cannot be that it turns itself. He had no teacher, no one to instruct him in anything. He was surrounded in Ur of the Chaldees by foolish idolaters. His father and mother and the entire population worshipped idols, and he worshipped with them. But his mind was constantly active and reflective until he had attained the way of truth, found the correct line of thought, and knew that there is one God, that he guides the celestial spheres and created everything, and that among all that exists there is no God beside him. This is Abraham the philosopher, anticipating Aristotle, using metaphysical argument to prove the existence of God. Three images of Abraham, three versions perhaps, of what it is to be a Jew. The first sees Jews as iconoclasts, challenging the idols of the age, even secular Jews, who'd cut themselves adrift from Judaism, were among the most revolutionary modern thinkers, most famously Spinoza, Marx and Freud. Thorstein Veblen said in an essay on the intellectual preeminence of the Jews that the Jew had become a disturber of the intellectual peace, a wanderer in the intellectual's no man's land, seeking another place to rest farther along the road, somewhere over the horizon. The second sees Jewish identity in terms of tzedek mishpat, a commitment to the just society. Albert Einstein spoke of the almost fanatical love of justice as one of the features of the Jewish tradition which makes me thank my lucky stars that I belong to it. The third reminds us that the Greek thinkers, Theophrastus and Cleagus, disciples of Aristotle, spoke of the Jews as a nation of philosophers. So all these views are true and profound. They share only one shortcoming. There's no evidence for them whatsoever in the Torah. Joshua speaks of Abraham's father Terach as an idolater, but this isn't mentioned in Barashis. The story of the palace in flames is perhaps based on Abraham's challenge to God about the proposed destruction of Sodom and the cities of the plain. Shall the judge of all the earth not do justice? As for Abraham as Aristotle, that's based on an ancient tradition that the Greek philosophers especially Pythagoras, derived their wisdom from the Jews. But this, too, is nowhere hinted at in the Torah. So all of them are good and sound reasons, but they're not the ones the Torah itself gives. What does the Torah itself say about Abraham? The answer is unexpected and actually very moving. Abraham was chosen simply to be a father. The Av in Avram or Avraham means father. In the only verse in which the Torah explains the choice of Abraham, it says, Ki adativ, for I have chosen him, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. The great scenes in Abraham's life, waiting for a child, the birth of Ishmael, the tension between Sarah and Hagar, the birth of Isaac and the binding are all about his role as a father. Judaism, more than any other faith, sees parenthood as the highest challenge of all. On the first day of Rosh Hashanah, the anniversary of creation, we read of two mothers, Sarah and Hannah, and the births of their sons, as if to say every life is a universe. Therefore, if you wish to understand the creation of the universe, think about the birth of a child. 
Abraham, the hero of faith, is simply a father. Stephen Hawking famously wrote at the end of A Brief History of Time that if we had a unified field theory, a scientific theory of everything, we would know the mind of God. We believe otherwise. To know the mind of God, we don't need theoretical physics. We simply need to know what it is to be a parent. The miracle of childbirth is as close as we come to understanding the love that brings new life into the world. That is God's creativity. There's a fascinating passage in Yossi Klein Halevi's book on Christians and Muslims in the land of Israel at the entrance to the Garden of Eden. Visiting a convent, he is told by a nun, Maria Teresa, I watch the families, the Israeli families, she means, who visit here on weekends, how the parents behave toward their children, speaking to them with patience and encouraging them to ask intelligent questions. It's an example to the whole world. The strength of this people is the love of parents for their children, not just the mothers, but the, also the fathers. Then she added, a Jewish child has two mothers. Judaism takes what is natural and sanctifies it. What is physical and invests it with spirituality. What is elsewhere considered normal and sees it as a miracle. What Darwin saw as the urge to reproduce, what Richard Dawkins calls the selfish gene, is for, Abraham, for Judaism high religious art, full of drama and beauty. Abraham the father and Sarah the mother are our enduring role models of parenthood as God's gift and our highest vocation. <laughs>